Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tell Us What's in the Box. My what's name is What's in the Box. All right. My name is Joanna, and I am here with Danny uh, for our third episode. Three's a magic number, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so this is our Mother's Day special, and we uh, sat down and watched the uh, three-hour made-for-TV movie, Sybil which came out in 1976, starring Sally Fields and what was her name? Jo- uh, Joanne Woodward. Joanne Woodward, uh, who's the wife of Paul Newman, right? Um, so the movie Sybil, um, it's based on a true story slash not true story of a woman named Shirley Mason, um, who supposedly was suffering from DID, or disassociative identity disorder. Uh, She had 16 separate personalities that were due to various childhood-related trauma. Um, You know, there was a famous, lots of famous books written about the case. She was in the news. There were miniseries made about her, bunch of movies and everything. Um, But unfortunately, she later admitted that she kind of made the whole thing up. Um, but needless to say, um, the movie is actually very, not only is it spectacular, but it also does a lot of serious work in terms of, you know, treating mental illness as a serious disorder. It doesn't sensationalize it, uh, kind of like still some modern day movies do like Joker and things like that. Um, so like I said, this Mother's Day special, we're going to talk about Sybil and uh, her relationship with her family, her mother, her therapist trying to deal with all these multiple personalities and get better. Um, so, Danny, I'll turn it over to you wherever you want to kick us off first. <laughs> okay. So here's the deal. A lot of this for me was thinking about how her relationships with her family shaped, you know, cause we're going to, we're going to ignore the fact that it was kind of made up. Or I, I would really just like to deal with kind of what we're presented in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. We can talk a little bit later about, you know, real, not real DID and all that stuff. But for now, let's, I'm just going to talk about, you know, what we're presented in the movie as fact and as what happened. So a lot of what was allowed to happen in the beginning of the whole thing, the origins were the relationship between her father, her mother, and herself. And when you sit and think about it, you find out in the movie that the reason the mom was doing all of these things to her that traumatized her and caused her to split her personality to deal with it was because she was paranoid schizophrenic and she was untreated. And the father did not uh their religion did not believe in you know what they call doctors of the mind or whatever and so she was untreated which you know (laughs) you know you want to uh, your first instinct is to is to blame the mother i think you know for doing all of this stuff but honestly paranoid schizophrenics if they're treated can have perfectly fine lives you know and everything it was the fact that she was untreated so i blame first the father for Mm -hmm. for kind of turning a blind eye and not caring about his daughter or his wife enough i mean either one of them like he was doing neither one of them any favors by leaving her untreated the Mm -hmm. wife was suffering the mother was suffering sybil was obviously suffering and he just kind of ignored it like the two people who are supposed to be the most important in your lives and you're saying they're ignoring the immense pain that both of them were in and that to me is is kind of the worst offense in the movie absolutely not only that not only that because even then you can sit there and say well he was having this conflict with what his religion said but that childhood doctor don't even get me started he knew he knew. And then he had the nerve to sit there and ask the doctor towards the end for absolute, you know, what about absolution? I'm like, you looked up that girl's vagina and saw all these scars up there that she'd been cut with button hooks and knives mm-hmm. and all of this other stuff would never be have kids again. 
and you did nothing. Yes. Yeah, poor as Sybil, the character that Sally Fields plays, like, suffered an insane amount of all kinds of abuse at the hands of her family. You know, regardless if her mother was paranoid schizophrenic or her dad was just, like, I don't know, a religious extreme, would that, would that be one way of saying it? Yeah. So, I mean, lots of like emotional, mental abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, like no wonder Sybil had all these, you know, like split personalities, develop disassociative identity disorder to try to cope with her emotions. Um, I think the thing that stood out the most for me regarding that is especially like her parents also kind of come from a time where like, like mental illness, like, yes, it was being studied, but there was still a huge stigma around it. Like if you, it, it, to a lot of people, it was still this kind of whole thing of like, you know, oh, you just need to grow up, just pull, just pull your shit together, you know? And that's how things like this were treated um or on the other end of the spectrum it was like you were an embarrassment to the family especially if you came from like a really well-to-do background even as late as the 70s i want to say people were still being put into mental institutions you know my own great grandmother like that happened to her you know did it help her no absolutely not it was just kind of a way to get her away from the family so you know, having someone like who has a history of like mental illness in my family. Yeah, it was really like interesting and really emotionally hard to watch at the same time because it's like you logically know what's going on. And then just Sally Fields, like I think we were talking a bit before this, Danny, but you said this was like the role that got her career started as an actress. And if you haven't seen Sybil watch it if for anything for sally field's performance because oh my god i can't she um, it was amazing amazing yeah it was what <laughs> got her noticed really. yeah um she'd done stuff before it but you know this was really what got her noticed uh by people for her performance and it's and and you know, you watch this person, this very broken person trying to cope with their lives and, and how, how they can, they can go on. And, and one of the other things that struck me too is, is that she didn't get her closure really with her mother. Her mother had died yeah. way before any of this in the movie. And so she had to live with the fact that she still wanted to hurt her mother. She has this big thing at the end where she wanted to kill her and rip her apart and put things in her just like she had done to her and, and still felt that way, even though her mother was dead. I mean, our relationships are complicated and it kind of just goes to show that relationships affect you even after the person is gone or out of your life. You know, and, and mm -hmm. the and the either the trauma or the joy that they give you, it is still with you. And you still have to have to kind of move on from it and figure out how to how to how to live, you know, outside of that relationship when it happens. Yeah. And that's what therapy's there for. Like you literally have to undo decades of training your brain to react in a specific way to a specific trigger <laughs> and it can take just as long as it did to develop in like like it could take as long just to undo that as it did to develop in the first place and it is hard painstaking scary work i think you know not just for the patient but for also the doctor involved you know um yeah. but let's let's go back to like focus on like for like the um, what you were saying about her relationship with her mother and with her mother being an undiagnosed paranoid schizophrenic. So I'd be curious, you know, to hear kind of your, your analysis of how her mother's undiagnosed like disorder played into how she raised Sybil. Well, 
I I gotta be honest. I don't know a lot about paranoid schizophrenia. Mm. I know that it's that it's it's something that we we didn't know a lot about. Was not not treated often um, back in the day, but now that there there are um, there are there are ways that you can be treated for it. There's medications for it that you can live live your life with with this with this with this condition and it and it won't you won't affect the people around you as much it's still something you have to deal with as everybody knows mental illness just doesn't go away and you have to deal with it no matter what but it's something that you can avoid harming people and and in this sense i think her mother was playing out her own pain and taking it out on Sybil. It, it felt a lot like that that's the tack that they were taking. Mm-hmm. That um, she was in a lot of pain. And so she would take every opportunity to take it out on Sybil and hurt her for, for, for whatever reason, you know, tripping her down the stairs at one point, you know, and laughing at her and mocking her and, and all of that stuff. And it, it, it really felt like, you know, she's, she's taking that out. She had something she could beat up on, Mm -hmm. you know, she had something she could beat up on. And so she did, um, the changing her mind about, things you know like with the um the star and the santa claus and being like where did you put that she's like what'd you tell me you know why'd you put that on the thing you're on the tree oh you know you didn't tell me not to or you know she doesn't know but she's decided she can't you know she disassociates from what she's doing from one moment to another Mm -hmm. um talking to herself humming to herself all the time the father said as much and you saw that in the performance that she just kind of had this, it's, it's like not being able to, it kind of came across as not being able to, to be there and make sense of things, you know? Yeah. And, and things that were done to her, you know, she, she did to Sybil, like one of the things in the climax of it, when she's remembering what happened in the kitchen, you know, was the mother saying, Oh, this is what men will do to you. Mm-hmm. you know so i'm so you better get used to it etc cetera, etc cetera. and and almost there were a lot of instances where i felt like she was jealous of when sybil was happy you know like every time she she started acting like a child or started doing childlike things or singing or being happy or being content the mother felt like she had to do something about it mm-hmm. you know yeah and that's, that's what it felt like and you know, uh, you know, with the with the crayons, and you know, her just being happy and singing along like the mother told her to, and then all of a sudden, no, no, we can't have this anymore. Like you know, and you know, we have to put a stop to it. You know, and then taking her crayons and and stamping on them and everything, and then locking her in the in the trunk and all of that stuff and. Yeah, it's like, it's like, she'd be fine, kind of, you know, if, if Sybil was miserable or whatever, but anytime there was a moment where it would start mm-hmm. to, uh, she would start to be happy or start to act like a kid, she would not allow that to happen. It would switch something in her and she would have to put a stop to it. Yeah, you can, like, you definitely even see that within the very first, like, opening scene of the movie where she's, you know, with um, the elementary school class and then the teacher and they're outside you know drawing and having fun and everything and you see Sybil being like super kind of almost like motherly and really attentive to the students and all 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 of that stuff but then the squeaking of the swing just interjects with that and then you see her trying to like repress that that trigger you know um and the fact that she is around other children it makes sense as to why kind of later on in the scene um as you know they play follow the leader and she gets closer over to where the um i guess i i would say like maybe 
more so grandma than mother because she had a nice like curly fro, like a shock of of white hair and her skin definitely looked older. But um, there, once you finally get to see Sybil's mom for, for the first time when she's taking her back home, unbeknown to Sybil, who's about to get her tonsils ripped out, you know, you see her mom also has like white hair too. Um, and it's, you know, at that moment in the playground that like triggers a really bad memory for Sybil with that same noise. And she regresses to basically a personality that's like probably even it seems like younger than the students that she's, you know, helping and she's standing in like the um the, the um little pond area, basically up up to her knees, I think. And she's just super scared and frightened and just basically like you know shocked still um so yeah we get you know we we get the sense that it's somebody in her family even without like knowing the background of the movie like very early on and it's this horrific image of like you see a child being like raised up like arms first i think on Mm -hmm. um yeah, it just this pulley system made of metal and chains and everything, and that's why you get that that squeaky noise. Um, got you know, so any like sound of of happiness like triggers that, and it seems like a, you know maybe if if not all of it, at least most of it comes from the fact that her mother just wanted to stamp out any happiness that she had, whether that's coloring or even playing the piano or painting. Because there's so many references throughout the movie where it's like, oh, you're an artist. No, I haven't painted in a long time. You know, oh, you play the piano. No, I don't play the piano. But then when she's in another personality, she knows how to play the piano. You know, uh, she knows how to speak French, you know, and mm-hmm. she becomes this more confident woman. So it's all these little you know, um, bits and pieces of her personality that have splintered off and kind of one of, and probably like simplifying DID way too much here, but it's, it's, it's called, it's a disassociative disorder because when somebody's going through something really traumatic they want to look at it through like a third person perspective like it is happening to somebody else so sometimes that happens too often too much that's when other personalities start start to develop from what i understand um like i said this is just from what i understand Mm -hmm. that did happens when you're so young, your first personality, your your personality, you haven't had a chance to develop yet. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, you know, below five years old, um, these things start happening. And if you haven't developed personality yet, the way that you process trauma is you have to compartmentalize those things. And so you will have a personality that's for protecting you and defending you. You will have a personality for doing basic things. You will have a personality for doing certain things that you need to do. And they all kind of work together in what they call a system. Mm -hmm. And so it's really a disorder that, that really doesn't happen to, to older people. From what I understand, it happens when you're so young, when you have the trauma that you have not had a chance to kind of experience and develop your own tastes and develop your own personality and, and be like allowed to grow. So you end up having to compartmentalize because the trauma you're experiencing um, is too much because you haven't developed mechanisms yet in your personality yeah. for dealing with those things. And so, you know, they all play different roles and in each, each one of those personalities had a different like role to play. Um, like you know Vanessa the one who could play the piano kept her her piano for her Peggy was her kind of defense um trying to get out and mm-hmm. trying to to get away um Vicky was her competent erudite personality who kind of kept everything together mm-hmm. and you know she had all these and and you know you find out about the boy personalities and those i think had to do with you know, issues she probably had being her gender because that was something her mother focused on. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, her being like a girl and everything. And so, so they all have purposes. They all have, have, you know, purposes. So it, it, when, when you find out somebody has these sorts of things, it has to be, it has to be quite awful. So none of these people have gotten through unscathed. And, and funnily enough, now, you know, we see that she kind of integrates her personalities or, or meets them and kind of tries to like integrate them. Um, it's kind of the indicator that they give it. And that's actually, from what I understand, not how they treat it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's more like you learn how to uh, live with your system. Yeah. And live with your, your different personalities and be aware of them and, and go through that process from what I understand. Like I said, I'm not a doctor. I, there are several um, YouTube channels, uh, disassociated DID and multiplicity in me who are mm-hmm. two, two people, two systems who have uh, disassociated identity disorder. And they go in a lot about what it means and everything. If anybody listening is, is interested in how kind of modern, modern people and modern medicine deals deals with this. Yeah. Um, but this, like I said, was done in 1976. So they didn't know a lot about it at the time other than it came from trauma and how exactly it worked and everything. But I, I did want to talk about her grandmother a little bit. Yeah. And how her, you know, she actually was able to, which was good that she had her grandmother who she loved and seemed to care for her and at least give her a little bit of love in her life um, seemed to care for her and be gentle yeah. with her so much. So in the fact that her, one of her personalities, Mary mm-hmm. was, was kind of a, a manifestation of her grandmother yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like I totally agree. That's such was a good thing for her to have because at least like for her character development, that meant she absolutely was aware like, the the difference between like a healthy familial relationship and an abusive one and i mean you even see that she acknowledges it when she seeks help from dr wilbur when she tries to explain to her dad you know everything that's going on like she knows something isn't right and she even says it's getting worse and i want help you know um so she's you know, like I, I don't think at least in terms of, you know, this as a fictional piece, piece of work for her character. I don't know, like if she would have been as aware of that had she not had that beneficial relationship with her grandmother. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show how, how important those things, no matter how small they may seem comparative to your other experiences, how, how they can be something to hold on to. You know, you, you read um, stories sometimes about somebody who was in a bad place and they go somewhere and some random stranger will let them in line in front of them or say something nice to them. And that changes, you know what I mean? It just goes yeah. to show that, that sometimes it only takes a little bit. It takes like a little thing to hold on to. Mm-hmm to help you survive. Which just shows how much more powerful that is compared to a bombardment of horrendous shit that you get piled on you for years and years and years, you know? Yeah, one of the things that broke my heart was when she was whispering to the doctor after she got hurt and wanted to go home with him, right? And do you remember, that was so... And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, take me with you. Can I be your little girl? Mm-hmm. And then he goes out and she sees him at the window and, and yeah, you know, cause even at that age, she knew she didn't want to be where she was, you yeah. know, and kind of asking I, anybody. I mean, Jesus Christ, her family, like under false pretenses brought her home and like physically restrained her to get her tonsils out in what her own bedroom. Yeah. Like what, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah. Like, you know, so um, from from like the transitions between like those scenes and those past or like those flashbacks and like scenes in the present, um, just from a 
cinematography like perspective like of Sybil as a little girl like like smacking her hand on the window as she's walking her childhood doctor like go to his car and like leave that totally makes sense why she was freaking out in the hotel room with Dr. Robo saying I need to get to the window I need to get to the window and she eventually you know for what the second or third time in the film like punches her fist through the window on accident mm-hmm. um so it was one of those really like nice things where they didn't have to directly reference it. They showed it mm-hmm. and they showed like where this kind of tendency of hers, you know, to punch her fists through windows come, comes from, you know, it's in, in her own mind, it is rooted in some form of logic. It's not just there for shock value. Right. Just, just like the purple and the associations with grain and the different associations that she has with, with different things. Um, Like being touched and just having that, depending on what personality has manifested, she is absolutely, she, like that scene with her father where he reaches out to touch her and she looks like she's going to vomit everywhere. She's like that repulsed by it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I wonder why, you know, yeah, yeah, right? I, I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and you, you sit there and you just think about how these things affect your life. It really makes you reflect on, even if you didn't have that sorts of things, but the sorts of reactions, the things that you have, like for her, she had really hefty triggers, like the squeaking and the gray mm-hmm. hair and the purple and the green piano, and not yeah. being touched in the piano and everything. And you have these triggers And then makes you think how even in a small way that you yourself had those reactions to certain things, you know, songs or smells or sights or sounds that either you associate with things really good or things really, really bad. It's kind of a human thing that we associate, you know, if we associate something pleasant with somebody's pleasant personality or a good memory, you know, we, we have those things and it, and it really is a, a good study in how our relationships and how we're treated can affect even our enjoyment of little things like you were saying, the paint and the music and everything. Um, Sorry, there's a loud motorcycle that just went by. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, they, were, they were giving their opinion on that. So, (laughs) yeah, I agree with you. Um, I want to talk about Mm. a little bit. Like, let's talk about Richard. Let's talk about Richard Loomis. Because I was kind of surprised. Um, mm -hmm. You you go first. And then tell me, tell me what your feelings about Richard were and and Sybil's relationship with Richard and what happened and everything. Like, I want to get. Is that. Hold on, because it was a three-hour-long movie, and I have a lot of shit going on. That yeah. was was that the guy that I, up across? Yeah, her right. her boyfriend. Yeah, boyfriend. her quote unquote. Yeah, with the clown makeup. Yeah, the little boy. Yeah, and the little boy and the rainbow suspenders. And uh-huh. okay, just making sure. Like, wait a minute, who is this? Like, yeah. which number? Yeah, sometimes there? you forget their name. You're like, okay, that yeah. guy, but then they don't mention his name too much. Yeah. So. Okay. So. My very first, like, reaction towards him was, like, what a fucking creeper. Like, immediately just got super creepy vibes and, like, you know, the way that I was, like, yeah, I see you watching me. And I watch you, too. And he's, like, talking, like, at her and he's got one eye closed the whole time. And it's, like, are is is it too bright but you're trying to look at her? Or are you trying to be, like, seductive? Like, <laughs> this whole look you got going on, Richard Loomis, is not working, especially with the rainbow suspenders. You know, it's just anybody else could pull it off, but not you. You just, you just can't. <laughs> So it was the height of 70s fashion. What are you talking about? <laughs> trendsetter. Trendsetter. Oh my goodness. It's it felt like to me that she it, it was almost like for not just for Sybil, but for Richard too. It was like both of them were trying to fill voids in their lives through each other which is so still common with like people who you know some people who get into relationships today like they unknowingly 
pick partners that have like strong personality traits, very similar or identical to their own parents, because they are trying to, you know, change the relationship that they have with their parents. And I Mm -hmm. feel like by putting, you know, like giving her a quote unquote boyfriend, like that, that was what, you know, the story was trying to do. This was like her shot at a normal, as normal as it can be relationship. But of course, you know, it's, it's not, they're two very broken people. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, his, his wife, the mother of his kid died in a car accident. You find out Mm -hmm. now I had, I had a slightly different, not, not completely, but I, I felt the same way you did at first, which mm-hmm. was, God, who's this guy? Yeah. Like, he's freaking creepy. <laughs> like, what, the, what, what? He's trying too hard. That's how it came mm-hmm. across for me. Like, uh, he's trying yeah. way, way too hard um, for someone who does not seem interested. But I'll tell you what, after the moment when he convinced her to go with him busking mm-hmm. and they were on the subway. And they were talking and he talks about his wife, that scene and how she reacts to that and like kisses his hand and then makes her kiss his lip or, you know, he asks her to kiss his lips and they do mm-hmm. so. It was very, very sweet. And you could see yeah. him look at her in a different way. Mm-hmm. And for the seventies after that, how he treated her mm-hmm. I thought was actually like he was very he was very I thought very sensitive like because then what happens is is the 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 scene at Christmas Eve where she makes the dinner and she's worried about it and he kind of senses that she has issues being directly intimate right Mm -hmm. so he accepts that boundary and kind of comes up with that lefty slats thing Mm -hmm. to kind of give her that distance but still talk about like he he i feel like he stays within her comfort zone right i feel like Mm -hmm. and you know and then he asked you know for the key so that he can come back over after the kids in bed and what really impressed me was the last scene with him where he goes over and, and actually the first part mm-hmm. was when they were still in the apartment with the boy and she says, I'm afraid that I won't meet your expectations. Basically saying, you know, I don't know what you want from me. I don't know if I can give it to you. And he basically says, I have no expectations. That's exactly his line. I have no expectations. Mm-hmm. Basically yeah. saying, I feel like I just want to be with you. And then when when he comes back over, right, and gives her the <laughs> gift of watercolors, paper, which was very sweet, paying attention. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, it was never, like there was never any pressure of sex or anything like that there. Yeah. He literally just crawls into bed and like, okay, this is where we're at now. We're just going to cuddle. Yeah. Right. And then he doesn't touch her. And then she basically says something about, I'm going to fall off. And then he gives her the arm and then she feels comfortable enough to cuddle up with him. And then he starts singing to her. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I just thought, I'm like, wow, like, he's very empathetic dude right and and then when you know she has the nightmare she's switched and and everything and this is his first experience with it Mm -hmm. he actually puts it together pretty quickly what's going on oh dr wilder's a psychiatrist so you've got you've got the idea that she's mentioned dr wilder before but didn't tell him it was a psychiatrist but he puts it together, right? Mm-hmm. And he wants to help her. That's his first instinct. You know, stay right here. He goes and calls Dr. Wilbur, right? Yeah. And then goes up there <laughs> into a situation he doesn't know and, and tries to help her. Yeah. Right? And I just felt like, I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah, at first he came up with trying too hard. But from that moment in the thing from after that, he did everything I felt like to show that he really yeah. cared about her. And the last part was really where she doesn't realize he's there, but she's talking to the doctor about how like, oh, I love him. Right. This is love. Mm-hmm. Right. And the doctor's talking to her and she's like, 
would it be okay if we didn't see him until we put ourselves back together? And then it kind of goes to him in the doorway and he's just gone through all this and he's listening to her. One realizes that she does love him like in her own way. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, she doesn't feel like he can, like she can be with him. And he accepts that he doesn't contact her again, the rest of the movie. Yeah. He like, is crying and just basically turns around and quietly walks away. And the doctor yeah. is basically like, I think you don't have to tell him. I think he knows. I mean, like how, I mean, like how much so, else could you do and just, just yeah. turn around and accept that, that all excellent that points. Have, yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that was what he accepted. So I was actually really pleased at that point for a 1976 movie of this dude that they gave her. You know, mm. they could have easily made it another trauma, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Um, but but they made him this guy who just kind of took whatever and did like the most empathetic thing he could do from her that came from a place of caring about her and didn't push her past where she needed, where she wanted to go. Yeah. Didn't Which... push her to have sex, didn't push her to have this, you know, told her that he didn't have expectations. Yeah, you which know, is the epitome. Around with her. Yeah. Yeah, the epitome of what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like when you care that deeply for somebody else. But, you know, like, of course, she's had no experience with that, you know? And her having to navigate what that is and for her saying, you know, oh, I love him, but, you know, is it okay if I, you know, just work on myself first. I mean, one, I mean, that's a really mature uh, observation. And two, you know, she even knew like, e even though this guy is willing to go to the ends of the earth for me, it's, I'm most likely not giving him what he needs either. You know, he's so willing. It, it, it also like, I a hundred percent agree with you that he was super caring and, and all of that, but it also felt like he was willing to neglect himself just for this other person too. So that's why to me, like, it was like, okay, they're both very broken people, but with him, you know, for, for both of them in their own weird ways, it came from a place of legitimately caring about the other person and being real about the situation. Yeah, so. it really, it really was. I mean, like, you know, that 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 moment of like this is something i really want for both of them you know like realizing and she didn't even know she's like you know that you know what is this feeling as she's talking to the doctor after they bring her down and she's been given the shot and everything mm -hmm. like that and he's laying she's laying the doctor's laying her in bed and she's like you know this feeling that i have this is what i feel like is that love and, or the doctor tells her, well, you know, that's love. And she says, oh, you know, do I love Danny? Yeah. And, and like, oh, that's what I feel for Richard. And the fact that he's, that she's, you know, and then he realizes it and like the look on his face and then realizes that no matter what, even though she loves him back and he loves her, or cares about her, or they could, that he's giving her the space because she obviously yeah. had stuff to deal with. I mean, who, I don't know, is if I being faced with something like that, somebody that I thought was relatively a you know a teacher and relatively lived across the way from me and paints and does all this stuff it was a little quirky and fun maybe and then all of a sudden they find out that they have different personalities and within an hour having to negate that crisis yeah which he did by being like oh okay you're seeing a psychiatrist aren't you okay that's what we're dealing with this mm -hmm. dr wilbur i gotta find this dr wilbur and not like, oh shit, I'm out of here. Yeah. You know, like, good, I mean, good on Richard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which could have been like a thing. He could have just been like, oh, whatever. Peace out. You know, yeah. like, yeah, I'm, yeah, okay. You know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and didn't, but like he went and tracked down the doctor, told her what was going on, and then helped her and helps and held Sybil while she was getting the shot and tried mm -hmm. to calm her down. And then even when he didn't know about her condition, and you could tell that she was like nervous about being there with him in the bed, even though she, you know, had her nightgown on and, and, mm -hmm. you know, it was perfectly nothing was going on that she needed to be comfortable. He like allowed that to happen. 
yeah like saying to her to calm her down like look this is what it is this is what it you know and i just thought that it was very you know it was very cool so you know i always like to imagine that eventually you know they did they did meet up again you know and, i know yeah, like, so. good, good happy ending to that but i think like given where the movie starts and sybil's journey throughout the whole thing like the way that it ends like real realistically was kind of like at least for the time period that the film covers like it was the best possible ending that you could hope for and i mean she did have a huge journey from beginning to end you know she ends up at the end a completely like different person even though she's still dealing with all of this stuff but she's made tremendous progress regardless you know considering mm -hmm how many years she went without yeah that was the thing the doctor yeah. said she worked with Sybil for 11 years <sighs> yeah so you know that's 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 hefty which let's let's talk about dr wilbur yeah we haven't talked about dr wilbur yet and we had you know the last little bit to talk about that um you know how how do you feel about dr wilbur and her relationship with Sybil and yeah i mean i definitely think by the end and this was like foreshadowed when dr wilbur was like talking with uh, i guess her original older mentor you're her mentor yeah yeah like when mentor. she's yeah. basically you know her uh, wilbur's mentor she picks up on the sense that like sybil this patient is different to dr wilbur than ever than anyone else before you know so she's basically describing like no i want to like treat her at the time it was only three different personalities you know and she's describing what they are and everything and um her mentor was basically you know like just be careful you know because you're not her mother and it was like doc dr wilbur whether she like knew she was doing this or not but like her anytime she was helping sybil like through one of her personalities or a traumatic breakdown or something like it was very motherly compared to like your traditional representation of a psychologist mm -hmm. you know and it was it, it gave the sense of a very strong emotional investment from dr wilbur um you know do i think maybe she got a little too involved you know quite quite possibly but it seemed to be a very like mutually beneficial relationship towards the end um but it one reason why that was like really good for sybil is because like with dr wilbur it was like the mother that she never had mm -hmm. so i yeah. don't know yeah <clears throat> I mean that that balance which which comes out and talking about like you know whether she's too involved or you know whether she, you know she was doing the right things and there was that incidence where she kind of pushed Sybil too far and she regressed into a baby yeah so she had to call her mentor again and just you know doing harm versus helping and stuff was a balancing act that the doctor had to had to had to balance you know and it seemed like it seemed like that that there was like a lot of time like that was spent with Sybil mm -hmm. like outside of like regular office hours and everything that Sybil could kind of just show up at her apartment or her office or whatever um you know so you sit there and think you know trying to help somebody and how much help somebody needs and getting involved mm -hmm. and and in the end part where she was like talking about how you know she let herself go as well and let go of her own ideas about being a mother and everything mm -hmm. i'm not sure is there, i mean what do you make of that last part that the doctor was saying i don't know as if i really got mm -hmm. that part or not about what the doctor was talking about like the very last narration where she's talking about like oh as i mothered as i watched civil mother herself and embrace herself i you know i i was able to let go and i i mean mm -hmm. i was trying to figure out where that was going whether she was also letting go of like being too involved or whether i don't know yeah, that 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 kind of made made sense to me because 
Yeah, I mean, when she was saying, you know, Sybil's able to mother herself, like that just seemed like it was a different way to say like, oh, now she's learning how to take care of herself in a healthy way. And it's very much like, again, I'm not a mother, but I've heard my own mother describe it this way. You know, like you, of course, want to be there and care for your children and give them all the tools necessary for them to you know, emotionally handled everything that happens throughout the days, weeks, months, et cetera, et cetera, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's only when you feel like um, your children are able to handle that, if you are, if you do recognize that, that's when you're like, okay, like she doesn't need to rely on me so much anymore, you know? Yeah, now that you mentioned it, that does make sense. Like she's saying, now I can ease up a little. Now mm-hmm. now she's learning and I can take on a different position. Yeah. I don't have to be her only. Like I can now just kind of support her like in supporting herself. Yeah. You know, and 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 whatever. Like she's kind of accepting that now that they made this breakthrough, she can now take on a kind of a different role, a more mm-hmm. traditional role perhaps. Um you know, after getting through all of that stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense now that you say it, that she's basically saying I too had this relationship and, and now I get to also mm-hmm. change my relationship as well. It wasn't only her, but changing our relationship as patient and doctor and everything else. And maybe learning a little bit about herself and her own relationships and stuff at the same time. Uh, oh I'm oh I'm sure like you don't you don't deal with you know that kind of a patient and not have your own personal stuff kind of bubbled to the surface regardless if you have or don't have a mental disorder you know there's gonna be we're all influenced by by our past you know for better or for worse so there's always we're always gonna have experiences that remind us of things that we had in our lives or didn't have in our lives yeah you know and sometimes it's the funniest things it's the things you wouldn't Mm -hmm. expect you know when, when people talk about you know, triggers or, or, you know, having something that, that resonates with you Yeah, from your own personal experiences, you know, it can, you're not always prepared for it, you know, and that, and that kind of, I think is what started what happened to Sybil, you know, she wasn't prepared, you know, her brain started not being able to cope anymore. So things started Mm -hmm. to get worse and she was having to cope more and more as she was trying to go through school and trying to be an adult. Yeah. And, and, you know, you don't know, you know, it's like a minefield, you know, Mm -hmm. you can just be going along and you watch some movie and for some reason, something in it just, you know, you know, just, you know, get something in your head and you weren't expecting it, you know? And I was talking with my husband about this the (laughs) other day, which was like, you and I can both watch the same thing. Um, You know, we're both children of divorce. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about, you know, you and I can both watch something that has to do with divorce and we both have our own experiences with it. Right. Mm-hmm. But you might, you will have a different reaction than I do because even though yeah. we both have experiences with divorce, those experiences were, were very different. Whereas I might be okay with whatever's happening. You might not be or vice versa. So it's just a very interesting yeah. watching the movie really made you think about like how much your own past influences you and things you don't even, you might not even realize mm. like, oh, why do I like that color? You know, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I like that color because, you know, somebody I liked always gave me stuff of that color every birthday mm. or whatever it happens to be. It's, it's a real study in how our relationships to things and our relation, relationships with, with objects and with people objects with people via objects or via sound or via Mm -hmm. smell or via sight can be really 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 powerful absolutely you know to go back to just what you were saying about like you and your husband watching the same thing and taking away two completely different things about it just because of past experiences um i was kind of um on a similar note talking about this with josh the other day 
And we both have, like, even though we both grew up going to Disneyland with our families, uh, as adults, we both have two very, like, different opinions on Disneyland and two different perspectives about it. Because he, like, Disneyland reminds him of, like, okay, this is fake. This is, you know, yeah, we go to Disneyland and we, you know, laugh and smile as a family and everything else. And then you go back home and everything was just garbage all, all over again, you know? So looking at Disneyland to him, it's just like, no, this is a bunch of lies. You know, like, why are we going to Disneyland pretending that everything is okay? Whereas to me, going to Disneyland and pretending that everything was okay was a fantastic escape from everyday life. And it was like the only time that I could ever be happy. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you know, know, it's funny yeah. how those same things and we come away with different lessons depending yeah. on the people who are, who we were with and and our, our life at the mm. time, you know? Yeah. I mean- I'll be real and I'll tell you something that uh that uh Sybil was actually the first kind of horror movie I ever saw. Mm -hmm. uh, thing that was really supposed to be uh flipped out and the first time I saw it I wasn't supposed to my sister was babysitting me. And we I was supposed to be in bed and mm -hmm. in our house we had these stairs where you could sit on the stairs and see the TV but nobody on the couch or the chairs or anything could see you. It was kind of like the stairs were kind of closed off and you could look and see the TV. So the first time I saw this movie, I was probably way too young. Mm -hmm. I was, I was maybe nine. So uh, it, it's one of those things that like has like, when I watch this movie, even this movie has strong associations for me. Because the first time I saw it, I remember sitting on the stairs in secret watching it. Mm -hmm. That's because my sister was watching it. Yeah. And she was talking to her friends on the phone. And I remember that. And I remember it was dark and the flickering of the TV. And I remember the cat face and everything. Yeah. The cat, the cat, you know, the beheaded cat. And mm -hmm. then I remember my sister catching me. <laughs> on the stairs <laughs> and yelling at me so even with something like this where you're talking about associations even when you know watching this movie yeah like i can smell my house that i grew up in you know mm -hmm. like i can see the staircase and the wallpaper my put my parents put on the wall you know i can see the old block of the tv we had we had one of those old school wooden block tvs that were like 50 million pounds and oh, maybe like my... an indent of like three yeah. inches in the carpet and we had like gold or green like really like hefty carpet i mean i was nine so this was 1987 or eight so yeah. the movie had not been out for that long you know maybe 10 years or so at the time but like i mean like all those things come back right as i was sitting there watching it yeah. late at night you know on my ipad and just all that stuff came back right Mm -hmm. like how my sister looked at that age you know being a teenager and me sitting on the stairs you know just all of that stuff it's just an interesting you know of how that can bring you back to a place and that it's important to kind of mm -hmm. to kind of acknowledge those things and if you don't it can go really really bad for you sometimes depending on what it is it's in the case of Sybil yep exactly <laughs> like thankfully I didn't have yeah. like <laughs> Being, yeah. God dang, like you know, at first you think, oh man, was it just like the 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 hook or whatever she thought it would hurt her? I'm like, no, she mm -mm. flipped out because she was actually like penetrated with the stupid thing. So when her dad tried to use it to actually mm -mm. button her shoe, she flipped her crap. Which yep, you know, I mean, which you you know, it made sense later on, and then when it hits you, you're like, oh. <laughs> that's a lot of this movie it's just like why it's like you can understand okay something happened in her childhood that's causing her to do this and then they reveal exactly what happened and it's just like you sit there and it just it this movie punches you in the gut it really yeah. does I, w I mean it's not like I would say 
your stereotypical horror movie, especially for the time that it came out, it like does a like it's so important in terms of mental disease, mental illness, that sort that sort of thing, even until today, because even still like this sort of topic among just the general pop population is still not a widely understood thing and hollywood doesn't have the greatest track record of like um rep representing this or mental no. illness in general no you don't <laughs> say yeah surprise yeah yeah no really I, I agree with you and i think if anything no matter if you look at it and say this isn't you know Putting aside the, of how accurate it is, like mm -hmm. saying, okay, this doesn't represent disassociative identity disorder. She was telling fibs that they based all of this off of. Even if, even if you take away all that, the thing that you can take away from it is how our actions affect other people, especially Absolutely. young people. Yeah. That even the smallest thing you say or do to them can be can be magnified and so you have to be really really conscious and it and it's really a testament to saying you know be be conscious that you aren't the only person in the world you know mm -hmm. and, and and be conscious that what you do affects others you know like the father ignoring the fact of what was going on the doctor ignoring the fact of what was going on mm -hmm. you know like everybody just pretty much concerned about their own lives and not rocking the boat or what it might mean if these things were true and yeah. not paying attention to how much it was hurting other people and a child you know if anything else just take that just take the fact that what we do matters mm -hmm. it matters it can matter a whole huge amount to somebody you know oh and and i know this is going to sound ridiculously off topic but i promise <laughs> you it's not is if you ever watch the movie this movie the uh street fighter movie the one with raul julia ah uh, yes <laughs> like the testament to it the best line in it was seriously when the, the when uh chung lee comes up and she's like you decimated my village you did this that and the other thing and he's like who are you See, for you, that was the single greatest day of your life when mm -hmm. bison came into your village. To me, it was Tuesday. You know, that's it, yeah. the events that, that, you know, and being conscious of our individual perspective on things, even if they're going to be different, you know, even if two people go through divorce, you know, even if two people go through the same divorce, mm -hmm. you know, how one partner views it versus how the other partner viewed everything could yeah. be miles, miles yeah. away that just we have to understand that as far as emotions go, we kind of have an, a, a social ecology that no matter what we like to think about what we do doesn't affect other people or we just want to be in these little bubbles or something like that, that it does. Mm -hmm. Your mood, what you say, and what you do does have a an effect on other people. Yeah, whether was, yeah, whether it was your intention or not. Yeah, know. but anyway, I think hot for a bit. <laughs> I think that is a perfect <laughs> note to end on. You know, um, happy nice Mother's Day, everybody! Happy Mother's Day! <laughs> you know, um be be nice to each other um you know in this crazy crazy world we live in um but beyond that give us a follow on twitter yeah. <laughs> we are at the box underscore podcast because somebody took the name we wanted so no. we're, we're rolling hey, with it right about. now little things affect other people exactly the person who has the name that we want you're not even using your twitter account <laughs> you're affecting our lives give it to us <laughs> give us the box give us the box <laughs> yeah all right we'll be back again in another two weeks every yeah every other week so not next week, but the week after. And we will be talking about what next week, Danny? Oh, uh, what will we be talking about next week? What I'll let you moment? Say yeah, let me just keep everything figure it out here. Yeah. We like have it all set up. Here we go. Let me just look on our little, we're all organized and stuff, y'all. Like, 
It's you know, really all Danny's yeah. doing. Yeah. <laughs> really. I mean. <laughs> Ooh, we're doing Man of Medan. Yes. We're going to switch it up and go talk about some video games for uh, one. Right. Relationships are not only for movies and books. No. They are for video awesome. games, too. Yes. And how you as the player relate to the game, or if you're playing it co-op with somebody else, how a game forces you to relate and work together. We'll let you know if our friendship survives. I know. (laughs) And if it doesn't, well, um, this is the last last podcast. (laughs) 